Larry Ogunjobi signs with the Steelers. Will Rob Gronkowski stay retired? And where will Madamakan Sue end up? All that and more on today's episode of Locked on NFL. You are locked on NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome in to another episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Monday, so that means you have me, Kevin Ostriker, the host of Locked On Ravens. And thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. And be sure to follow us anywhere you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, as you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts, and we're back. We have a ton of content to dive into today. I know it's kind of the, the lull period before training camp starts, but that doesn't mean NFL action isn't happening through signings, rumors, and whatever it may be. So in the first segment, we'll be talking with Chris Carter of Locked On Steelers about the signing of Larry Ogunjobi, a really good signing there. We're going to talk to him about what that means for Pittsburgh's defense. In the second segment, we're going to be talking with James Yarko of Locked On Bucks. We're going to be talking with him about the Rob Gronkowski retirement, potentially where Nadamik and Sue could end up based off of his perspective. Then finally, we'll talk with your board Q of Locked On Raiders, and we'll talk with Q about Nadamik and Sue and his demonstrated interest in the Raiders and just if that could work out for both sides. So we're getting a ton to talk about. I also want to give out my deepest condolences to Jalen Ferguson's family and loved ones, to Tony Saragusa's family and loved ones. It was tough for the Ravens community. And again, all, all the tragic loss of life we've had throughout the NFL this offseason with Wayne Haskins, Jeff Gladney, Marion Barber, and, and so many others. So again, just, just my condolences go out there. But let's dive into our content here, starting off with Chris Carter of Locked On Steelers talking about Larry Ogunjobi. All right, joining me here now, the host of Locked On Steelers, Chris Carter, to talk about Larry Ogunjobi. Chris, I know we talked a couple weeks ago about the Stefan Tua retirement and just how important it was for the Steelers to get somebody else on that defensive line with the depth that they already had. They get Larry Ogunjobi, a solid veteran here, very good pass rusher. How are you doing? I'm doing great, uh, Kevin. It, it's it's been interesting. It seems like I've been on here every week with you because either two it retires or they sign Minka to an extension or they sign Larry Ogunjobi. They're, the Steelers have been very busy over the past month, not just with training camp and or excuse me, mini camp and uh, OTAs. But the signing of Ogunjobi is one. I, I thought that they would they would add to the defensive line at some point. I wasn't sure if they do it before training camp, but uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I said all along, they, they, I think the Steelers legitimately believe that Stephon Tewitt was coming back. You could hear it in Cam Hayward's voice both before and after his retirement that, that he thought that Stephon Tewitt was coming back. Um, and they needed a presence. They needed another guy who could be on the starting rotation uh, to, uh, to to get after the quarterback. Ogunjobi can do that. He had seven sacks, just like Chris Wormley had seven sacks last year. And I'd say Ogunjobi grades a little bit better one-on-one -on -one in the run, in run defense. I think he struggles when he faces double teams, and that's when you start to see him kind of get swallowed up a little bit. But but uh, all in all, you're now having your, your defensive line rotation with Cam Hayward, with Tyson Oluolu, and now you have Ogunjobi with Wormley, with DeMarvin Leal, who they just drafted, and they like Isaiah Loudermilk, who came up last year um, as a fifth-round 
rookie, and now he's a second-year second player who's a little more buff and ready to go. I, I think the Steelers are very excited about their defensive line rotation because it got wrecked with injuries last year, and now this year it's looking like, hey, like they're going to have depth there, something they didn't have last year. Yeah, it clearly, it clearly looks like they identified that they got hit with injuries there. They wanted to stack that depth up, and now they have it. So if they have to go through a couple injuries there this season, I think they are better positioned to like, sustain those injuries as opposed to last season. Well, Chris, this was a one-year deal, up to $8 million with incentives. Yeah. I mean, overall, a pretty solid deal for both sides with the Steelers and with Ogunjobi. I know that the Chicago deal fell through with him, so maybe he wasn't looking at as much money there. Obviously, the big Chicago deal was about three years, $40 million, But how do you like this deal for Pittsburgh and for Ogunjobi? I mean, well, I'll start with Ogan Joby. On his side, this is I think this is kind of a win-win. You get a year where you're gonna get some some good money. You know, eight million with incentives means not really eight million. Like he'd have to do a lot of really crazy stuff to probably get that money. But um, but still, he's probably he's gonna get a decent paycheck. But this year, it means you get to line up next to Cam Hayward, T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, and all these other guys up front on a team that's led the NFL in sacks for five straight years. So. You get to join that group, get your stats up with them. People aren't going to be focusing on you first. This is an opportunity for, to show the NFL, hey, I'm still that guy. And then next year, either get paid by Pittsburgh to stay or get a big payday like you thought you were about to get, get last year as long as you're healthy. So for Joby, I think this is still a win after the unfortunate, you know, failing his physical with Chicago. But for the Steelers, this is also a win because Omar Khan, this is like his first big, big major free agent bring in uh, since he took over the job from Kevin Colbert. And I, I think a lot of people are happy with this because this brings in a defensive lineman with experience young enough but not too young uh to to get in there and be and contribute as a starter guy who gets after the quarterback which they want to do and a guy that's going to help in the run defense which they desperately need so all in all i, I thought this was a win for both sides the steelers they needed another defensive line presence they also needed a guy who wasn't going to crush their salary cap and if you look at you know those numbers you know they're you know even if all those incentives were reached you're talking about them still having you know what 15 six anywhere between 15 or 17 million dollars left in salary cap space so they can, the Steelers can still go and sign someone else there's talk about extension extending Chris Boswell very soon you know so there's uh there's a lot of things they can still do but this was a need they needed to get and they got it for a, a, a good vet for a good price yeah you mentioned the need Chris was was this your best case scenario once Stefan to retired you look at the guys who are available in free agency you have maybe a couple trade options too but was this one of the best case scenarios you looked at when Stefan to retired and said this is what you would want for the Steelers in this situation I mean it's it's always tough to say best case scenario because I mean best case scenario uh, Aaron Donald gets mad at the Rams, says "cut me," and then he and the Steelers sign him for a cheap deal, and you know, and, and then he becomes a superstar with Cam Hayward. But um, in in, all, in reality, of who was available, I do think Larry Ogunjobi's right up there. You know, I was not a no Steel. The Steelers are never going to sign an Indama Kinsu, someone who's thirty five years old. They always go mid to late twenties, around that range. Someone who's young enough that if they if you're successful in your one year deal, we keep you around for two or three more years on a reasonable contract after that. Uh, so I mean, I do think this was what you the best that you know that you could expect i was interested to see if they'd be willing to try a trade i've been talking about on my show that you know the washington commanders they just got another uh first round defensive line or they, they just they're just addressing the defensive linemen in the earlier rounds of their draft this year and they're on the final year of the contract of deron Payne. so i was like well you know maybe they the steelers can say hey here's mason rudolph if you don't like your quarterback and here's a draft here's a draft pick and we'll take deron Payne off your hands and then you have a 25 year old guy who's a former 13th overall 
pick that you can bring in. So like I, there were all sorts of scenarios we were juggling around here in Pittsburgh of what could have worked. But as far as this goes for the price that they paid, I, I think that this is as good as you could have hoped for. And I still I still envision the Steelers going in the early rounds in the next cut one of the next two years to go get another defensive lineman who's a first round pick. But I, I think right now they love Cam Hayward. He loves being there, and they, 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 they'll have him around for the next few years. They're hoping Leal can stand up. They're hoping Loudermilk can stand up. And who knows, if Joby does a real job, maybe they'll pay him uh, pay, pay him real money too. Yeah, it feels like Pittsburgh could invest in that defensive line even more over the next couple of seasons, most definitely. But, Chris, you've got to talk about what Joby does for the defense, and I think it opens up a lot of different things. What are best and worst case scenarios for him in 2022? Is this something where, you know, this is a Pro Bowl potential player? Do you see him just playing a massive role? What are your best and worst case scenarios for him for Pittsburgh this year? I mean, best case scenario, you know, you're getting close to double. I, I don't, I'm not sure if he gets double digit sacks, but I think he gets close. Uh, you know, if he if he has an eight to nine sack type of season, everyone's going to look back at him and say, oh, yeah, we still want him. He's still really good. Um, and he's going to have that chance that that chance there. I'm just not sure. So sure. There's there's so many people who can eat on the Steelers defense when it comes to getting after the quarterback. And that's where the competition can get stiff. And I can see him. I can see him ending up with three sacks on the season. And it won't be a, a lack of talent. It'll just be a situation where like, hey, like TJ was getting there faster. Cam was getting there faster. This guy was getting there faster. You know, and, you know, it was just you couldn't beat those guys to the ball. And then maybe that lowers his hit. And I think that that's the one thing that could hurt Joby is that say he has a three sack season and there aren't as many highlight plays and he's just kind of another guy in the Steelers defensive line. Then he probably won't get that $13 million deal a year deal from a from a team in free agency and maybe the Steelers are saying hey we'll pay you six or seven or eight next year again to stick around and, and what he wants is he wants to put on a show he wants to get either close to double digit sacks or double digit sacks itself to say hey I'm a pass rusher I stuff the run I do all of the things pay me next year I want to be one of the, the top paid defensive linemen in football um, so he's got a ball and he's got a ball you know with, with the Steelers um, I'll be very intrigued to see the the amount of sna- the snap counts at the end of each game you know who's getting the most cam hayward's had to start eating a lot of snap counts last year and the steelers they want to get him as much rest as possible because if he's on the field all the time it's going to tire him out for the, the the key part of the game which as the steelers always talk about they want the early fourth quarter they want that to be when their defensive players are the freshest their stars are taken over and they can kind of push to the push to the end of the game if ogan joby can be part of those starters that they keep fresh or reason why their starters are fresh i i think he'll have helped his case a lot but he has to get some serious numbers this year to get him back into the conversation of oh yeah we do got to pay him and with free agency hits next year yeah and part of the huge thing with those veteran defensive linemen I know you have Cam Hayward in Pittsburgh even like Calais Campbell in Baltimore for example now Akeem Hicks with Tampa Bay is having as much depth as possible to what have it be you know come December come January come potentially February you're looking at guys who are much more fresh because they were able to rest in the earlier months. And I think Ogunjobi can provide that for Pittsburgh. And plus the other depth they have, the depth yeah. that we talked about, Chris, with Pittsburgh picking up all those guys, bringing back some quality playmakers as well on the defensive line. Ogunjobi, I feel like, is set up for some success in Pittsburgh playing next to guys like TJ Watt and Cam Hayward, as we talked about. I think it's an A-plus signing for Pittsburgh. I think he'll be able to perform really, really well there. Because I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for hopping on. Thanks. I personally really love this signing for the Steelers there. Ogunjobi someone who... I think has been very good and very underrated for a long time. So on that Steelers defense, which did need some more defensive linemen after the retirement of Stephon Tewitt, I think that will be a great signing for them. But still a ton to talk about here on Locked On NFL. When we 
get back, we'll be diving into a lot about Rob Gronkowski, Nadavik and Sue, and more. So be sure to stay tuned. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about Bet Online. BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports, wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports, scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head over to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. We're back. Our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with you. And again, thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. Be sure to subscribe here on YouTube if you're here with us in video form and follow us in audio form if you're here with us in audio form as well. But now in our second part of the show, we're going to be diving into Rob Gronkowski and Adabi Sue with James Yarko of Locked On Bucks. Let's dive into that conversation now. Joining me here now to continue our conversation is one of the hosts of Locked On Bucks, James Yarko. James, the Tampa Bay has gone through some retirements over the course of this offseason. We've seen it with Tom Brady. Now we're going through it again with Rob Gronkowski. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun to talk about Gronk. And, you know, who knows if this is the last time I'll talk about him or if we'll have more to talk about later down the road. Right. We'll, we'll talk about that, whether this is really the final time we'll see Rob Gronkowski on the football field. But James, assuming that Rob Gronkowski does end up staying retired, what did he bring to Tampa Bay during his time there? Obviously a Super Bowl champion, that veteran presence coming over with Tom Brady. I mean, what did you enjoy seeing out of him on the field each and every Sunday? I, I think just the reliability and the chemistry with Tom Brady as far as on the field. You knew if Gronk was out there, he could make a play. It didn't matter if if they were backed up in their own zone or if it was third and 18. You knew Gronk was going to be there and could have something explosive to really jumpstart a, a drive, jumpstart a, a comeback, whatever the case may be. So he he brought that that attitude, that swagger, that comfortability on the field and then off the field he was just a character man gronk is gronk he was gonna make you laugh he was gonna lighten the mood around teammates when things weren't going so great he was gonna be hyper focused but at the same time it wasn't like the tom brady hyper focused where you know he's dialed in and he's got that look on his face gronk was gonna try to keep things light you know keep guys a little loose and 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 not down so much and and that's something that they're sure gonna miss you know in the Buccaneers have plenty of personalities, but there's only one Gronk. Yeah, they're, they're, you could go throughout the league and kind of identify like a couple of those characters, those fun-loving guys. And Gronk is in that category of just a unique guy, but on the field, I mean, such a dominant player for so many seasons. And you mentioned that reliability, but it just feels like, James, this might not be the end for Rob Gronkowski. Do you sense anything that Gronk could come back? Maybe it is in the coming months. We, we saw it with Tom Brady where he retired, then very quickly came back. Or do you feel like maybe this is a middle of the season thing where if Gronk does come back, it would be maybe after, after a bye week or something? I get the feeling he's probably done, but I'm not going to completely close that door. Like I hook, line, and sinker, I bought Tom Brady's retirement. I did not think he was going to come back. So I've learned my lesson there. You know, I'll leave the, the door slightly ajar. But I think if Gronk is going to return there, and David and I talked about this on an episode of Locked on Bucks, there has to be kind of a cutoff where if it reaches this certain point in the season, it's too late for him to try to make a return. You're not going to see Gronk 
you know, jump right back in the week before the playoffs start. It would take too long for him to get his legs under him, get back into football shape, and become a viable option and a viable threat for the offense. So David had kind of talked about kind of that bye week after they come back from Germany. And, and I had looked at really the first week of December. If he's not back by the very beginning of December, you're probably reaching that point of no return as to whether or not he's going to be able to function as a, you know, every snap, you know, viable football player for the Buccaneers. Yeah, and until Gronkowski potentially returns, or maybe just now and until forever, the Bucs are going to be looking to fill that void that Gronk left with the guys now on that roster. You have Cam Breda, second-round pick invested there as well at the position. James, how confident are you in, in the guys in that room to kind of pick up that slack and continue going forward here with Tom Brady? I'm less confident than I was when they had Gronk, but I have a lot of confidence in Cameron Bray. We've seen him be the uh, the number one tight end for this team before, and I have a lot of optimism about this group. You have Kate Otten, who, if it wasn't for some injuries, is probably the first or second tight end taken off the board in this previous draft, but a lot of people were a little hesitant because of the injury concerns. Then they turn around and they spend another draft pick on Keith, who you know, all due respect to him, was not a pass-catching tight end, but a ferocious blocker, but already in rookie minicamp at OTAs, he was starting to wow some people with his ability to catch the ball. He's out there saying, look, I can do this. It wasn't what I was asked to do in college because he was such a mauler on the line, but it is something that he can do. So I'm confident in Cam Bray to kind of lead that charge, especially early in the season. But Cade Otten is a phenomenal athlete. And if he can start to develop some of that chemistry with Brady that, you know, will really take shape during training camp, I think Otten can be an absolute force in this offense and may end up being the number one rookie tight end in the 2022 season. Yeah, they have some talent there still, even though Gronk is now gone, that they have the guys to pick up that slack. But James, do you feel like there could be a potential addition, maybe a free agent or a trade for maybe a backup type player that the Bucks could make at tight end? I, I certainly think it's possible. And now with the release of Bradley Pinion, you're not paying Rob Gronkowski. The Bucks have about $12 million in cap space. Only about a million of that is needed to sign their first two draft picks, Otten and, of course, defensive lineman Logan Hall. So you could look to them to make a move for a veteran, whether that's a Jared Cook, if it's a Blake Jarwin, who I'm, I'm a big fan of, but he was just absolutely decimated by injuries in his time with Dallas. But when he was on the field, whether that was you know preseason games or, or training camp or the few games that he got in, during the regular season, he has a ton of upside. So that's a very low-risk, high-reward move if the Buccaneers decide to go that way because he does have such huge upside and his contract is going to be extremely minimal. It's not going to surprise me at all if they go out, they get a veteran for a little bit of additional depth. But I think you're looking at Brait and Otten, no matter who they bring in, as the one-two punch at the tight end position. Yeah, that, that does look like the duo. But James, kind of transitioning over to the defensive side of the ball to end out this year. Nadavikin Sue, obviously, it feels like the ship has sailed for him to return to Tampa Bay. And there's been some speculation, you know, where could he side? I know he mentioned the Raiders on Twitter is an option for him. Do you have any predictions as to where he'll land? Uh, I do think the Raiders are probably the number one fit for him. It's a very, very difficult division to go join. But 
you know, a lot of people are sleeping on the Raiders. You know, there's all the hype around the Chargers and their offense and how exciting Justin Herbert is. You have all the hype around the Denver Broncos because of the addition of Russell Wilson. And of course, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be the Kansas City Chiefs with or without Tyreek Hill. So and Dominican Sue could really be kind of an under the radar guy for the Raiders. And I say under the radar as under the radar as a name like Indomic and Sue can be, but the Raiders are just kind of floating underneath everybody's radar because the other three teams have these big, super sexy names. And, and outside of Devonte Adams, you know, nobody's looking to Derek Carr as the, you know, the quarterback in that division because of Herbert Wilson and Mahomes. And, and nobody's looking to that Raiders defense to really be the kind of defense that can stop those other offenses. And I think the addition of Indomic and Sue, it brings reliability it brings pass rush ability. It brings the ability to stop the run, to clog up blockers. He could absolutely help that defense. And I really believe that the Raiders are going to be a surprise team in the NFL this year, especially given what they're up against in the AFC West. Yeah, the AFC West is my pick for the best division of the year. Just so much talent, so many acquisitions in there as well. And James, I, I talked about and asked you what your confidence level was with the tight ends without Gronkowski. Well, I guess I'll end this off by asking you, what's your confidence level in the defensive line in Tampa without Sue with the additions they've made? I, I'm very confident. I'm going to miss what Sue brought to the line, but you have an absolute bona fide stud in Vita Vea there in the middle. You have Akeem Hicks who played great football for the Chicago Bears until he was hit by the injury bug. If he stays healthy, then that is going to be a huge addition. And then there has been nothing but glowing praise about the play of Logan Hall, whether that's from beat writers, whether that's from Hall of Famer Warren Sapp. Logan Hall has that it factor, or at least people claim that he has that it factor Early in this process, I'm excited to see him when I go down to training camp, see how he moves, see how he plays, and how he does lined up alongside of Vita Vea. So I, I'm extremely confident that the Buccaneers' defensive line, even without Sue, is still going to be one of the more dominant defensive lines in the NFL, still going to be towards the top of the list as far as stopping the run, which is going to be pivotal in order for the guys like Joe Tryon Shoyinka and Shaq Barrett to be able to come blitzing off the edges for Devin White and Levante David to come blitzing up the middle. And then, of course, we all know that Todd Bowles loves safeties, and they have a ton of them that are super versatile. They can blitz, they can cover, they can drop back, whatever the case may be. So there's going to be some new wrinkles in that Todd Bowles defense this year with the addition of Logan Hall, with the addition of these other safeties, even without Indomitian Sue there lined up next to Vita Vea. Yeah, Tampa has depth in a ton of different positions. And, of course, obviously, when you, whenever you have Tom Brady, you have a chance. But also, it's the roster around him that matters, too. And Tampa's done a good job of, of filling that up. And who knows? Maybe Rob Gronkowski will be on that roster come November, December. And, James, maybe we'll be talking again then. But I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Yeah, a bit unknown if Rob Gronkowski is going to stay retired. I, I I, have my doubts that he will. But maybe he will. And this is actually the end of his football career. But if not... And he does return. It'd be a welcome mid, maybe late season addition for Tampa Bay and that team. But we still have a ton of content to dive into here on Locked On NFL. When we return, we're going to be diving into Ndamukong 2 in a little bit more detail, but this time with your boy Q of Locked On Raiders. So be sure to stay tuned for that here on Locked On NFL.
We're back. Our final segment of Locked on NFL. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with you again. Thank you for making Locked on NFL your first listen of the day. Again, be sure to subscribe here on YouTube and follow us in audio form as well. Now let's talk with your boy Q of Locked on Raiders about Nanabek and Sue and that Raiders defense and if Sue would potentially be a good fit on that team. Joining me now to round out the show to talk about some Adamic and Sue and some Las Vegas Raiders is the host of Locked On Raiders, your boy Q and Q. We might have talked on here once or twice before. Maybe this might be your first appearance. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. How you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, we got a relationship going now, right? I mean, we're talking all the time, and that's cool, man. It's 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 been a fun off season. Lots of storylines, and so lots of good conversation going on. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the one today, Q, it's about Adamic and Sue. Now, Sue. Pretty unlikely he returns to Tampa at this point. The Bucks signing Akeem Hicks, and now that pushes Sue out the door pretty much. And I think he demonstrated just a little bit of interest on Twitter when he talked about the Las Vegas Raiders. He said the Raiders seem fun, right. and it begs the conversation of just where he would fit, assuming he would be signed. You know, we don't really know what the situation is at this point. But when you saw that tweet, Hugh, what what was going through your mind? Was it something you expected to see? Well, I'll tell you, when I saw the tweet, when I saw him on ESPN, I heard what he had to say about the Raiders. I thought, oh, here you go. Now now the, the firestorm is going to come because now all the Raider Nation sees that name because he's a huge name, obviously, one of the best to ever do it uh, at that position, you know. And so uh, everyone's all, you know, lathered up wanting uh, Sue to be a Raider now. And so I, I don't know if, if that's a possibility. I don't know if it's going to happen. I think there's actually more interest on his part than there is on the Raiders' part right now, at least, as we speak, you know, in the in the end of June. But uh, it would be interesting. You know, he's a hell of a player still. He's better. Uh, he's a better defensive tackle than the Raiders have currently on the roster. So obviously it'd be a really good upgrade. You put him, you know, in the middle between Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, you have something cooking. The only thing is, is that, you know, the Raiders look like they're going to be in a 3-4 scheme more times than not. And he's only been in a 3-4 scheme once and that was with the, when he was with the Rams in his career. And so he was okay. Then he wasn't great. So it's just, it, it's a lot of different things that, you know, go into it. But I mean, you put Sue on that defensive line, and like I said, he's still better than what you have right now. So it'd be an upgrade. But I think the biggest question is going to be how much does he want? And I think he probably wants more money than the Raiders are willing to give him. Yeah, and Q, what would your ideal contract for him be? Probably maybe in the one-year deal range? Would you give him multiple years, the average annual value? Where are you looking in terms of the money the Raiders have to operate with and the actual need for a defensive lineman on the roster? Well, you know, it's funny. I would probably give him a one-year deal, you know, if on the Raiders. And and the thing is, they have some pretty good cap space right now just after they uh, they cleared some June 1st money. So they do have some good salary right now. But I just don't think that they're willing to give it to him. What I've noticed from this new regime, Dave Ziegler, the GM, comes over from New England. Champ Kelly comes over from the Bears. And, of course, Joshua Daniels comes over from the Patriots as well. They're not really trying to give big money to you know, to older guys, they really aren't. And now they'll, they'll spend money where they need to, like on a Devontae Adams or a Hunter Renfro or a Derek Carr makes sense. But for the older guys, they're not really willing to give up that big money. So I'm looking at like a one year, maybe a four or $5 million deal. And I don't think that he wants that. I think he's going to look for eight to $10 million. And I just cannot see the Raiders giving him that kind of money. So if his demands come down, I can see the Raiders saying, okay, maybe there's something there. Now, the, the veterans don't report till July 20th, the training camp, so there's plenty of time to get something done. He has been here in Las Vegas. He was at the Circus Sports uh, Casino hanging out in the pool with a bunch of Raiders. That was a report from multiple uh, multiple people that work there, like, hey, yeah, he's been here hanging out with the Raiders. So, you know, there, there's something to it. Obviously, there's some flirtation going on. I just don't know how much the Raiders were really, really interested in him. 
Right. It'd be, it'd be an investment at eight to $10 million. You'd really have to want him and really have to believe that he'd fit in at that money. But, you know, again, if the price comes down, yeah, I could see that working and happening. But Q, the, the fit for him based off of the players on the roster, would it be a good one if the Raiders did end up signing him? Oh, for sure. For sure. I think, I mean, again, like I mentioned, I mean, he's only played in a three, four once in his career, but he's still in the Dominican Sioux, right? I mean, he's still a really good football player. At the end of the day, you let football players go out there on the field and do what they do. He's only missed two games in his career. He had six sacks a year ago. So if you can get some interior pressure and then you have a guy like Max Crosby and Chandler Jones screaming in off the edges, you're a pretty good position. So, yeah, I think he would be a good fit. I think he would help uh, bolster that uh, defensive line. I think he'd bring that toughness. And also, he'd, you know, help those guys in the locker room, you know, just have that veteran presence that's been there, done that. So, yeah, I, I think he would be a good fit. Um, you know, he's he's talked about wanting to be a Raider uh, in the past, and so I don't know how much that means. You know, I don't know if that means anything. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think he'd be an upgrade. Uh, again, I just think that it boils down to how much money he wants and how much they're willing to give, and I don't think that they're willing to give a lot. Yeah, and where do you rank the defensive line need for the Raiders in terms of what they actually need? Is this like a top priority they should bring in somebody, or is it more on the lower end of their needs? No, I think that defensive tackle is definitely an area to, of concern. I think when it comes to the Raiders, it's offensive line, uh, interior of the defensive line, and then the cornerback situation is also something to, to kind of be concerned about. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely up there, you know, because, again, they do have Crosby. They do have Jones. That's great. The edge rushers are great. But the, the interior is a little soft, right? I mean, they have they have guys. They have a lot of guys, like seven guys that they went out and signed on a one-year deal to try to bolster that defensive tackle position. They uh, Patrick Graham and company wants guys that are about 300 pounds that can stop the run, you know, guys that can get to the quarterback, as opposed to what they had last year in Gus Bradley where they were slimmer guys, thinner guys that were just going to shoot the gap and try to get to the quarterback. He wants guys that can stop the run. Well, that's what Sue can do. So there, there is definitely a concern and a need there at that D tackle position. I just don't know if they're willing to spend the money for him at his age, you know, to, to bolster it up. They might just say, hey, you know what? We got seven guys. We went and drafted two young dudes. Uh, we're going to go ahead and roll with them as opposed to giving an older guy that kind of money. And what's your belief level in the group that they have right now? Is it something where you think it is absolutely necessary that they add a veteran, whether it is Sue or somebody else? Or do you think, yeah, they can run with those guys, see what they have, and then go from there? I think that they should add somebody. You know, I really do. Uh, there's a couple different scenarios that could be had. You know, they could maybe make a, a trade for somebody, a, a young guy. I've seen a guy like Jerron Payne's name floated out there. He could be available from Washington. He's only 25. I would love for them to go and trade for a guy like him because he's really going to bring some some uh, a lot of juice to that position. And he's a young dude. So, you know, uh, if the Raiders were to give him some some pretty good coin, that wouldn't be a problem because you feel like, OK, you're investing. Like you mentioned, you're investing in the future as well as the presence. But, uh, you know, if they're going to go the route of just having, you know, the guys that they have right now, then they probably do need to look outside the, the organization and say, OK, Let's bring in one more guy, two more guys to compete in, in camp and see, you know, who's the guys that fit. So, again, like Sue would be great. He would be fantastic. Uh, I just I just feel like his at this age, his uh, his asking price is going to be more than the Raiders are willing to pay. Yeah, and I know investing in that position, I think, would do the Raiders really well. And I know, Q, when talking about this defense, there is there is excitement. I mean, the addition of Chandler Jones has been yeah. great. Rocky Sin also in that trade with Yannick Ngakwe. What's your excitement level for the defense as a whole, assuming they don't add anybody else? I mean, all these pieces coming in, it looks like there's some promise there. 
It does. It's uh, it's so funny, man. I'm excited about the defense, but then at the same time, I feel like, you know, that could be the Achilles heel of the team, right? Because I feel like I look at the other side of the ball, the offensive side, and I think that, man, there's a lot to like about what they've done offensively. Can the defense slow down the Chiefs? Can the defense slow down the Chargers? Can the de- uh, defense slow down the Broncos? You know, that's going to be the biggest question. They took a step in the right direction last year under Gus Bradley. Their defense has usually been atrocious, but last year it was it was good. It was good enough to keep them in games and help them win games at the end. Uh, so I, I think that it has to be at least that good. I know that they could do it, but now it's a new scheme. So I want to see how Patrick Graham is is going to go ahead and and uh, you know execute it, what his expectations are for the defense. So it's like an excitement level, but it's also a curious to see level. You know, I mean, I just kind of want to see how it all looks, and that's why I think that the more competition you bring in, if you bring in a guy like Sue, it just adds to what they have already. And, and again, I think that they have some quality pieces to, to really get excited about defensively. I just need to see it all come together now. Right. And I know if you add a player like Sue, I think it increases the ceiling of that defense yeah. by a decent bit, but how, how much Q, how much would an addition like a Sue or even another defensive tackle increase the ceiling of this defense for this year? Well, if you just look at Sue and, and I mean, he's averaging about five to six sacks a season. I mean, that's, I think that that's a, a, a big bolster right there. I think the Raiders, only had, you know, maybe 25, 30 sacks last season. So, uh, and and really didn't have too much from the interior. So I just think having that that ability to, to get pressure on the interior of the defensive line would be huge. When you look at the quarterbacks that you're facing every every week in the division, you got Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Justin Herbert. I mean, that's murderer's row. So if you can disrupt those guys and make them uncomfortable, you have an opportunity to win games. And again, I think Max Crosby's continuing to get better. That's what's exciting about him. And Chandler Jones is a pro's pro. I mean, 107 and a half, I think, career sacks. I mean, it doesn't get too much better than that. So he's going to bring what I feel like, you know, at least double-digit sacks. I think Max Crosby will hit double digits. If you can have a guy like Sue or somebody from that interior be kind of nasty and, and, and you know, be able to stop the run, but at the same time give that pressure, that's a, uh, that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it, 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 would be, it would be nice. It would be a nice addition to the, to the Raiders' defense to have. I just don't know if it's going to be a, 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 a desire that they have uh, and go out there and spend that money that, that he's looking for. Right. Well, the Raiders definitely stacked up this offseason, regardless of if they do end up bringing in Sue or not. And again, my pick, Q, the AFC West is my pick for the best division of football this year. Just so much talent added across the board. It'll be a tough one. But again, I do think the Raiders have positioned themselves to be competitive in that division. And I'm excited to see how it all pans out. Q, thanks so much for joining me here. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime. You know, it's uh, it's so funny, man. We, we're talking all the time now. It's like every week we're talking. So there's something going on. Uh, so, you know, we're getting close to uh, training camp. So it's always good to catch up with you, my man. Yeah, of course. And hey, who knows? Maybe next week the Raiders will do something. We'll be talking again. I don't know. And if that's the case, I always enjoy chopping up with you. Thanks so much. For sure. Appreciate you. I think that Sue would be a very good addition for the Raiders and maybe not in that $10 million range. But as Hugh talked about, maybe a one-year deal, four, five, six, even maybe $7 million. I think he'd be a veteran in that room, someone who would... I think, again, make that ceiling of the defense higher in a division that AFC West, which is going to be very, very, very tough. Again, my pick for the best division in football in 2022. But that's all that I have for you here today on Locked on NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to get back here tomorrow. I'll be diving into more NFL content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow.